1: are listening to Linux in the Shack. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source, and amateur radio for everyone. Now here are your hosts, Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD.
0: Well, hello everybody and welcome. You have tuned in to episode number 451 of Linux in the Hamshack, the most terrific amateur radio podcast on the internet. And you have tuned in for a deep dive episode. And this one's going to be, I don't know, a little bit different, I guess. It's going to be sort of a live topic discussion about programming and VS code and debugging. And Bill is probably going to show me all of the bad Python I've done over the past week or so. And uh, then then who knows where we'll go after that. But it's just basically just going to be a, a conversation between me and Bill about stuff and hopefully by the end of it, it'll be somewhat entertaining and somewhat informative. But before we get into that, let's go ahead and introduce ourselves. I'm Russ K5TUX. Cheryl is on assignment and I'm Bill NE4RD. Okay. So here we are. And the whole, (laughs) this all started because of a project I talked about on the last show or the last two shows, whatever it was about, um, Mike k 6 gte having written a curses-based winter field day logger in Python. And then there was some discussion revolving around that. And then I was like, well, I haven't done any Python code in a while. Let me take a look at this. And then it evolved into me figuring out how to do code forks inside Git, GitHub and pull requests and all, all kinds of things like that. And then me trying to flex my long unused Python muscles and so now we have literally just ended Winterfield Day. I was using the code that Mike wrote and that I updated. Um, there was a grand total, ultimately, of nine pull requests. Mike probably doesn't know that there's one waiting for him right now. And I know he's listening, he's in the chat. So, <laughs> um, but literally yesterday, when I was doing some logging, there were some bugs that cropped up, plus, I made one change that we can discuss, Uh, but I was just editing it in a Vim, you know, a text editor and not dealing with VS code, which Bill says that he loaded my code into VS code with the pilot library attached to it. And it says there's like 99 errors in my code or 99 (laughs) insufficiencies, I guess we'll call them uh, in my, in my Python code, which is not surprising since I really haven't done anything with Python in a really long time, but it felt good to flex those muscles. So we're going to talk about it. But the first thing I have to do is actually be able to see VS code. So I'm actually going to go to my Windows machine, icky icky, which, which is uh, running uh, WSL, which for those who may not know what that is, it's the Windows subsystem for Linux. So I'm actually running Ubuntu under my Windows. And Bill says there's some magic that if I just type code... Well, I have I have to clone the repo, though, first. So let me get to that. Oh, and I'm going to get audio off my <laughs> my remote desktop. So when you hear those stupid <laughs> Windows noise, that's exactly what's happening. So let me find a place to clone this. Let's see. Let's go into opt, and I'll make a directory called what I usually do. Oh, I can't do that. Okay, hang on. <laughs> it's going to be fun. Okay, so I go into Now, mind
2: opt. you, these these problems are, you know, just just not problems i mean they're informational debug information items that are like you know use capital letters when using constants and use you know use can you know camel case and and stuff like that so these are like some of the nitpicky things for each of the uh I'm sure everybody's heard of PEP-8 and stuff like that. And with uh, Python, if you've uh, ever messed with it, where it's like, you know, don't make the lines too long. You actually have to, you know, kind of split Break your lines up. up. So right. Right. Yes, yeah, right. so they don't take too long and, and everything else. So, like, these are the, the the enforcement items that kind of come across when you run PyLint, or uh, this extension is called PyLance. Uh, put it out by Microsoft, it's a, it's a, it's an extension for, uh, for VS code. So you can kind of see all that stuff built in, and you get IntelliSense and a bunch of other stuff as you type uh, directly in it. And uh, so yeah, so again, these are warning and informational problems. These are not, you know, my code's crashing problem.
0: But um but yeah, it I'm gonna blame a, Mike for most of the uh, not camel case st- type stuff. That's I, that's stuff that I did. I, I put it in that way, and a lot of the the early code that I was basing my code off of, which is Mike's, um, doesn't doesn't use oh, camel yeah. case. So you know, nobody cares about that stuff, really. I mean, <laughs> I, I kind of uh, like it just because know. it it looks better to me, and I understand that it's sort of. I, I think that it started when. I when PHP actually flipped over from its procedural uh styling to object oriented, that sort of became really popular using that like the first part of a variable name is lowercase, but then the rest of it is camel cased or whatever you maybe that's a Java syntax, maybe that's where that came out of. Yeah. Or Java styling, not syntax. Um but I don't know. I, I just kind of got used to putting to doing stuff that way, especially for class names. And, uh, I don't know. Oh, and, yeah. and I was, yeah, and I, I, was if being you, I like, mean,
2: if you program in a certain language, sorry, No, yeah. yeah. I, I know I'm delayed now. I'm already you delayed. Am I you delayed? already
0: delayed? Well, well, undelay yourself. Undelay, undelay. <laughs> we get to wait. So, so anyway, what I've done while, while we've been sitting here bantering is I've cloned, yeah. I've cloned my repo. Okay. And now I've lost my window. <laughs> 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 You out. have installed VS Code, okay. though, right? I have installed VS Code, yes. And in so Windows. now I've got my clone of the repo. And okay. in what? In Windows, yes. Yeah. And now I have to... Oh, I cloned this as the wrong user, didn't I? Yeah, of course I did.
2: Oh, for crying. As the wrong user?
0: I want, it to be, I want to do this all as me, not as Root.
2: Well, you shouldn't be a Root anyways in WSL. It should be just you. Uh, uh, How well, did you that, install WSL? Well, <laughs> Do the we, way to start over? The, the way it's said to do it.
1: <laughs>
2: I mean, I've never been rude on my uh, my WSL thing, so I would have no, no idea no, no. how I you could I, get I, there. Just,
1: you,
0: I sued to root. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Sudo yeah. bash. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> he okay, broke so all the rules. Hot. I did not break any rules. All right. Let's see. GitHub.com, stroke JR Woodman, stroke WFD underscore pi underscore logger. Okay, cloned. All right, so go into that directory. Uh, well, actually, it hasn't finished cloning yet. Why? Why are you so slow? Okay, so much code. <laughs> it's, it's not that much code. It's one friggin' script. Okay, it's history.
2: A lot of history in there. So
0: yeah. Okay. So duh, so I need to go v. I just need to go code dot right. That's well. Go whole, into
2: the directory first. And I'm, then, I'm in the directory. Uh, yes. Okay. Then type in code space dot and then yeah.
0: press enter. Oh look, it's magic! It came up. <laughs>
2: So what's actually happened? Did you see it installing code server and stuff like that?
0: I don't know what I saw. Um, actually, because okay. as soon yeah. as I did it, it stopped doing stuff. So hang on a second. Where did that go? Did that close? Okay, let me let me type code dot again.
2: Yeah, you can run okay. it in Linux as well. Yes, uh, that's obvious. <laughs> but this is really a cool way to do stuff if you're going to do programming on a Windows computer. I found at least it's much easier to maintain your environments and stuff like that inside of the Ubuntu instance or whatever you know flavor of WSL image you want to have on the computer. Um, inside of that, and the WSL integration with the desktop, um, the Windows desktop running VS Code is amazing. It uh, it runs just tight and no problems. And in fact, yeah, it runs just as good as it would if it was running files locally, except for your you can actually target your, well, there's ways you can target the Windows environment too, but anyway. Okay. I digress.
0: <laughs> I, I started it up with a code dot. I am looking at my directory in VS Code. Yep. So I pulled it up so you can see that inside of your
2: Explorer, you have your, your entire directory is in there, and it might have asked you if you wanted to trust the parent directory and stuff like that. Yes, which Pretty I did. All. Yeah, which is generally built-in VS Code protection. Do you want to, you know, have everything in your projects directory, you know, available so it doesn't ask you this every time you get clone something and then VS Code open it? Um, yeah, so this is this is great. So it probably already detected if you clicked on your wfd underscore curses dot pi file that it's a Python file and it and wants it me to already, install.
0: So it well. may
2: have already suggested some stuff to you. So go yes. ahead and uh, install the extension, and it's probably going to. I recommend that you install Python and PyLance. And these are the two things that will get installed inside of your instance. Now, the nice thing is if you have it installed in your Windows instance, when it comes up in WSL, it'll tell you that, hey, you do have this installed over here. I can also install it for your WSL instance. So you can have it installed in both places. And if it doesn't need a certain thing, like I don't run Jupyter pretty much ever, um, Jupyter is a Python notebook, so you can do some interactive programming and, uh, computation right in the command line. I don't, I just don't use it for my stuff that I do. And it's definitely disabled. Uh, it is enabled for windows, but I haven't used it in WSL at all. So, um, yeah, you don't need
0: that. I'm installing Python 3.9 from the Microsoft store. Oh, you don't need to do that. You oh, should not have
2: to do it. It asked me to do that. Yeah. You shouldn't need to do that.
0: In VS code, it says install Python. Python extension no, requires Python to, the... to be installed. Install Python from the Microsoft Store.
2: Oh, yeah. You didn't need to do that. You should well, have haven't done it select, yet. select
0: your interpreter. Okay. Okay. Select a Python interpreter. Yeah. And you
2: should see one on your path as long as you have Python installed in your uh, WSL. Your oh, Python I don't
0: instance. know that Python's installed in WSL, so let me find out. <laughs> that that could be the problem. Let's see. D-package uh, Python. Ah. Oh, yeah. Python's
2: installed. Is it so- just in... When you type in Python, do you get anything? Because you might well, have to do see. the Python 3 as Python package. Do
0: you know, apt install Python is, py, oh, on, Python is Python 3. There we go. Do okay. Have, go ahead and just kill WS, or, um code your
2: VS Code and just restart it. Okay. Or relaunch okay. it from WSL. I just find that's easier. You can re- tell it to refresh itself, but it's just easier to close it.
0: I'm going to do a quick update on my WSL because there are some Python libraries that need to be updated.
2: Oh, yeah, most likely. <laughs> Might as well install pip, too, and uh, um, you'll go ahead and install if you want to. You can install at this point. Um, once you have pip going, you can actually do pip install uh, a pilot. So you can have that on the command line as well. So you can compare the two um, uh, debuggers <laughs> or code reviewers, I guess you'd call it. So you want Almost to talk it.
0: about what PIP, what pip and pylint are? Okay, yeah. So uh, for Python,
2: you have, uh, well, Python is the Python interpreter. So if you wanted to go in and just program in Python in the command line, you just type in Python or Python 3 and press enter. And you'd be presented with an interactive Python shell where you could uh, program in Python. Pip is the uh, package installer, and I'm going to look up the exact what that is called Python, <laughs> because I don't know what it uh, what it stands for. I'm sure it stands for something important. I've been programming Python for so long, but I just don't uh, don't remember. <laughs> pip. <laughs> what is pip? A package installer. Pip is the package installer for Python, so that's where it gets package installer for Python. Yeah. And uh, PIP uh, it allows you to install uh, pretty much every module, uh, including modules you shouldn't install because you need to code review every module you install. Uh, well, not not for home use, but <laughs> for, for enterprise use, you should definitely, definitely code review every module you install. Uh, this is how you end up with the NPM module and everything else that, uh, that takes down the interwebs. Um, but anyway... So pip is a is a package manager. PyLint is a package as well in the in the Python um, um, package library, whatever you want to call it. Um, and PyLint, what it does is a linter. So it, it takes a look at a specific piece of code and it'll give you things that uh, don't conform to the specifications of the code. Almost every language has some kind of linting application. Um, you know, ESLint, blah, you know, lint. I mean, there's a ton of them. So pretty much every language I've ever worked with has a linter. I think even, I think even PHP has a linter now probably has had one for probably since like version five or something like that. Um, Most people don't use the linters because they're just annoying and they tell you all the stupid things like, (laughs) like your code's not capitalized. Uh, You don't need to have parentheses around this uh, if statement, Uh, stuff like that. Uh, Just, just conformities, pure conformities to the language. Um, Again, it's nice to have that stuff when you put stuff out to go ahead and review it through that just to kind of do a, just a code cleanup or a little refactoring of stuff that uh, makes it easy for people to kind of look at the code later on. It, uh, it is just, it's just a little house cleaning, kind of like the last thing you do before you kind of say, okay, here, here's everything. <laughs> or you just have people that are interested in fixing those kind of things involved in your project and you sick them on the, the linting issues. Uh, anything that's not a, a true debug issue. It's a, you know, informational or uh just, a, a warning type thing, you know, early, early warning systems of like, uh, deprecations and stuff like that
0: too, could be listed in there. Okay. okay. I can't install Python. You can't install Python. No, 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 sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I can't install Python inside VS code. Um, it, it wants, no. it says select Python interpreter. So I click yeah. on the thing for select Python interpreter. Now you didn't have VS code open before you did all this, did you? Uh, no. Let me let me close. Let me it close WSL, WSL too. L- uh, yeah, just I close just want to sure. Stuff. Okay, so I'm going to start. Key. Oh, stop! Stop it, That's Windows! C. I hate you. I'm going to start WSL again. I'm going to go to my repo. Okay. And I'm going to do code period. Okay, and it says select Python interpreter. So I click on select Python interpreter, and it gives me nothing, no options. So
2: like let's just let's, let's just verify on the bottom left what does it say on the taskbar or on the your bottom bar of your VS code does it say WSL Ubuntu?
0: Mm it doesn't say. It okay, doesn't well, say let me cl-
2: w- hang on, let me close this. Are you inside of the WSL <laughs> bash? You're not in a like a PowerShell prompt, are you?
0: No, I was in WSL, like in Ubuntu. In Ubuntu, yes. Okay. So, well, down thing down here at the bottom it says master Okay,
2: so it's picking up the GitHub, but the very first thing in the left should say w. s. l. Ubuntu, so it knows that it's running in uh Ubuntu It does not say that oh well, that's gonna be problematic <laughs> well, <laughs> that's why I can't find the interpreter it's it's running it's running uh oddly let's you didn't install v. s. code inside of inside of Ubuntu right It just did something. Let's just do a d package here.
0: I I installed VS Code in Windows. Just in Windows? Just in Windows, yes. Uh, Let me just make sure. Uh, VS. Uh... Yeah, it says code is in my Windows directory. Programs, Microsoft VS Code, bin code. That's what it's running.
1: Hmm.
2: I literally have never had this problem before, let's say. Uh, VS code WSL, let's just make sure, uh, we have to do everything right. So you've installed VS code, blah, 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 you've, uh, updated your WSL. So when you did code dot the very first time, did you see it say updating VS code
0: server at all? I don't know. Let me just, let me do just code without the, the directory and see what it is. Okay, so if I just type code, okay, it brings me back into what I was in before, <laughs> and it doesn't say WSL. That
2: is so interesting. All right, so bring up the uh, bring up the um, um, uh, the command palette by Control Shift P inside of VS Code. Um, Control Shift P. Okay. So it should have like a little search kind of thing at the uh-huh. top, uh, and then type in remote. Remote. And then you should see options for WSL or remote, remote Explorer. Focus on WSL Targets View. Nope. No, you do not see that.
0: I do not see that.
2: Hey. Okay, so let's install. Let's install the WSL extension because I don't. I don't think I have that on mine. So I might. Let me look here real quick. WSL. <coughs> oh, you know what? I do have mine. It is installed. All right. So uh, go back out. Sorry. Okay. I might have messed you all up, even though I thought it did this <laughs> automatically. I've just, I've had this done so many times. Um, okay. So just bring up VS Code inside of Windows.
0: Okay. I bring up a VS Code inside of Windows. It so doesn't matter. Code. Just
2: just open it up. And then okay. on the left, go to extensions. Left, go to Extensions. Uh,
0: let's run and
2: debug uh, extensions. Okay. Yep. And then uh, at the very top, where has a little search bar for it, uh, type in WSL. And install a package called remote wsl Okay.
0: Installing. It's installed.
2: Okay. So go ahead and close it. Close it. Now now open it from your command line inside of WSL. Let's see if this works magically. (laughs) 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 And after this, we're installing Emacs. I just want you all to know (laughs) because we're one step away
0: from Emacs. We We are not doing that. (laughs)
2: <laughs> okay, installing
0: VS Code server for X64.
2: Oh, there we go. Okay, so we're winner winner chicken dinner now. So I'm sorry. <laughs> no. You're <bro>. terrible.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I swear I didn't
2: have to install that before, but maybe I did, and I just didn't remember.
0: Okay. Trust authors, yes. Okay now it says WSL Ubuntu down the lower left. <sighs> we're winning. <laughs> Okay. All right, so
2: you go ahead and click your file again, and again, it's probably going to ask you to install the Python stuff. But this time, it won't actually ask you where the Python interpreter is, because it'll say, oh, look, you have no, Python. No, it didn't
0: ask me for anything, so it just opened the file.
2: Oh, it's sweet. Okay, so, and it has Python down, should probably be 3.8.10, 64-bit.
0: Um,
2: Where do I see? Next to your master, master, there's like a little sync button, and then
0: uh, Python. It doesn't show that. I see Python over here on the lower right. Right.
2: But on the left, do you have a select interpreter? Do I have a select interpreter? No. No, I do not. Okay. So go over to the extensions real quick. Okay. (laughs) See, we are installing installing Emacs. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, just type in Python there and just click the Python. And it might say that it's not installed for WSL or it'll give you a prompt for install for WSL okay, wait a
0: minute, so uh oh that's okay, extensions, and then do what python okay, install in w s l okay. yes, it's, it says installing da, 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 da. <laughs> <laughs> it it's it's actually doing something there's there's like you know indications that something is happening, so although nothing is happening. <laughs> It's a Little bit of magic that happens, okay. It's installed now. I see Python 3.8.10
2: 64 10. bit, yep. Okay, so let's just make sure PyLance installed as well. So you should just backspace over Thon and put in Lance, just make sure that's installed as well. Uh, it looks like it is. Let's see, yes, yeah. The option should be like disable or uninstall if it's right, installed, yeah, it's so. installed. Okay, all right, sweet. <coughs> so now your file. If you go, yep. go back to your w I'm now back in my file. Okay. And if you just control S to save the file, it should kick off the uh Pylance, which would then should fill out your uh your problems tab. When you might have to click the view and then problems, just so you can see the
0: bottom bar stuff pop up. I do have like a warning. You do have a warning. Let's see. Import BS4 could not be resolved from the source. Oh, because uh-huh. I probably don't have that package in WSL. So,
2: yeah. Okay. So now we're getting to the to the meat of it. So, so yes. So a couple of things to begin with. So now that we got our VS Code and everything else, um, someone installing this uh, needs to know exactly what they need to install <laughs> in order to get working. BS4 is one uh one item uh and uh the other thing is lxml. uh in order to do the xml processing for uh beautiful soup for beautiful soup do- right yeah it doesn't automatically install the the xml parser which i found out when i first went into uh to debug uh why hamqth wasn't loading for me <laughs> <laughs> because it wasn't throwing an error back yeah. it just was not running um yeah, so uh, so a a big thing when you're when you're building programs and stuff like that, and you're you're including libraries that uh, that are not in the standard set of modules and libraries that Python comes with, it's generally helpful to include a requirements.txt file. It's just a text file that has packages, and it could be a a pinned package where you have uh, like in our case here, BS four is one. So on one line, you'd have BS four and then a carriage return. And then you would have lxml for the XML library that's also needed, and a carriage return. Uh, you can pin package versions inside of that requirements.txt file with uh, with an equals equals and then the version number and stuff like that. And um, if you click to that terminal there, what you terminal? See your terminal? Terminal tab down there with the problems output debug console. Do you see that? I see inside of VS Code. Yes,
0: I do okay. see it. Okay. Yep. Okay. So. so you,
2: so that is your Linux terminal. So it works just like you're in Linux. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so let's just go ahead and do a pip uh, space install and then go and do your BS4 and space and you can do LXML. So that'll get those two things in there.
0: LXML was already installed. I installed I installed it by package instead of pip.
2: Oh, okay. You installed the Python
0: 3-LXML. And Python 3-BS4. Oh, okay. So they're installed now? Is what they what are,
2: said? yes. Okay. So, uh, so if you type in PIP and then freeze in this directory, you'll see an output of like pretty much everything. Uh-huh. Of course, one, ones you don't even need in there, but <laughs> basically it gives your entire environment that these are actually running in, that your application is running in. Since we didn't set up a virtual environment, uh, you'll have pretty much everything that's installed in the uh, global library for you. And, uh, yeah. Requirements.txt. Um, yeah, and you can see how it's pinned for versions. See the double equals sign and stuff like that? Yep. Yeah. So, like, those would be the inclusive stuff that you would want to put in that requirements file. Not all of this, but, like, for yours, it would be a Beautiful Soup, that 4.10.0. And you probably wouldn't even need to pin that particular version just because it doesn't matter. Yeah, <laughs> Beautiful Soup, I'm sure, will work in any version. So Yeah, just you wouldn't want the... Before the four version, um, because that stuff doesn't work anymore. Just, just an FYI. So if you install Beautiful Soup and not BS four, <laughs> it will not work right. Because um, uh, that's, I think that's the uh, old uh, Python two package. And just stuff.
0: because we've been talking about it all this time, Beautiful Soup is a HTML and XML parser. It's just an easy way to get data out of HTML and, X, and XML. Just for, it's a library for, for people who are,
2: <laughs> may not be following. Right
0: beautiful soup is
2: <laughs> right. It's a library that helps simplify setting up, um, HTML requests. So you can then do scraping and stuff like that with other libraries like JSON, LXML and stuff like that. So instead of having to actually use, um, uh, uh, the requests library to you know set up your request. You can actually set it all up in Beautiful Soup, and it allows you to simplify handling of the the actual request and response data um, without a bunch of extra code. Basically, that's why it's beautiful. <laughs> 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 it's well, interestingly,
0: you were you were getting a bunch of warnings about this script. Right, that I am. You not, might
2: not
1: so-
0: see it yet.
2: So go ahead and close out of VS Code. I know this is counterintuitive and. It's feeling like it's a problem, but, um, and to just reopen it, I I think that's, that's basically it. Since you just loaded the extension, it might not actually fire off the IntelliSense and everything. I'm back in. Okay. So make sure you can uh, go down to view and uh, show your problems and
0: you should see the same list I see. View and show problems. View, oh, come on. View problems. No problems have been detected. And you have the WFD curses file open? Uh, yes, I do. Well, <laughs> shazam,
2: you're all set. Go away. I don't even we don't even need to talk. This code is perfect.
0: <laughs> I, I know it's far from perfect. So maybe it's another well, let's library. Go in the terminal and
2: just let's, let's just type in pilot on that. Do a pilot, okay. go into your terminal there and just do pilot, uh, and then type your file name, WFD uh, curses. Pardon. curses.py PY. Right. Got it. Yeah. Oh, pilot, not installed. Oh, so let's go ahead and do a quick install on that. Just uh you can do an apt install. Or yeah, you can do uh okay. or you can just do a pip. Oh
0: stop it. Stupid okay. So sudo apt install python three pilot. Nope, that's not what it do. What it, uh, it said install pilot and then it didn't let me do it. Sudo apt install pilot. There we go. Yeah, it might not might not be prefaced with Python three. No, oh, it actually is. Hmm. Okay. I got it installed now, so now I just do pylint wft curses Oh yeah, look at all those errors! Look at all that crap!
1: <laughs>
2: so in theory, like, your your VS Code should be showing the same number and yeah, you know, virtually the same number of errors. And you can see at the very bottom, it gives you your code rating and stuff like that, which is you know whatever. It, it it's bad. Really five point five it. out of ten. It's, you know, <laughs> it just means it's not doesn't conform to the standards perfectly um so the things we take from pylint and stuff like that are just recommendations um and you just kind of can look at some because almost all of them are like the similar similar uh, errors or similar issues um you know if you just kind of even just scrolling from the very bottom of the list um yeah you can see that you have imports kind of scattered yes in the file where they should really be just nested at the top um just so every so well anybody doing code review later can understand where the import is actually coming from and i've seen a lot of things that if uh, you like you don't hit a certain function or a certain you know whatever uh yeah function's fine you can call it whatever you want method what have you uh sometimes you won't do an import until that method's actually called um you know i've seen that (laughs) It's, you know, I'm sure it has its uses, what have you. So it's not into the main program,
0: but I think that would be from a resources perspective. If you don't have to load a library unless something actually happens, then don't, you know what I mean? But
2: yeah, yeah. And in general, I've only seen that in places where you're actually where that function is actually or that method is being called or or utilized is actually within another microservice. So in theory, it is there in that microservice. It's just that the rest of the app doesn't care about it. Um, It's only because that particular reference point in the app is being called via a different way. (laughs) <laughs> right. If that makes any sense whatsoever. If you get into doing uh, like uh, AWS Lambdas and stuff like that, where you you can actually isolate functions out there to run certain tasks, it can actually be deeply embedded in your code. And uh, it, it, yeah, it makes sense to do it at that point because it doesn't matter. But in general, imports go at the top. Um, shebangs don't really have to be there anymore. Um, I haven't seen one in a file in a long time. Um. Although you can do it,
1: <laughs> yeah. it, doesn't,
2: it doesn't matter. It's kind of a force of habit. I, yeah, I haven't, I haven't created a file. The last time I used a shebang was in Python or in Perl. So, um, but yeah, um, but yeah, you can kind of see that. Like, okay, lots of those. It's the same error, right? The standard import is not in the right place. Um, the problem with the names. Oh, you know, if you put a, if you put a variable down at the the root of the file, so it becomes kind of global, you know, with air quotes, global value. It thinks it's a constant because of the way the way modern Python apps are written. They're you know most of the stuff is nested in a class now. So you build your app around a class and then you init that class, and then you can do all these little variables, like you know uh, your true and false statements, your poll time and stuff like that would all be nested in the object of the class and you would now find that via time and self.hamdb on and stuff like that but that's just stylistically how stuff is generally written nowadays um i'm still not familiar with it myself <laughs> uh i had to look at a lot of examples to like kind of get the the feel for uh for doing that um again that's just a it's a stylistic thing it's a you know it looks leaner once you understand that it's not horrible which that's what i thought when i first looked at it it's like oh god why did they do this python is just supposed to put the code in and you hit go and it runs <laughs> 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 i mean that's literally how you know that's the point of python and Perl, right you know you you uh you use it so you can just write some pretty quick code that works every time and you don't have to worry about it you know Um, you know automate the boring stuff with Python you know one of the greatest books on Python right (laughs) (laughs) let me automate all the simple tasks with these simple files Um, but like when you do applications you should just take a little little consideration of you know things like that. Whereas like style is important and coming back in and looking at stuff is kind of cool. Um, And then it does tend to make things a little cleaner. You got easy cleanup to, you know, dump your entire app out instead of, um, you know, instead of just kind of trying to figure out where stuff is happening. Um, Some of the stuff you have in here, like I don't think it complains about it, but you could probably have some of these in your INI file like these lists of modes and bands. So if you were to push this out as a compiled application, it would actually read that stuff in and you can actually make changes without actually having to recompile uh, the application because you can send out compiled Python code, which is cool using like py to exe and stuff like that. Um, so you can put a lot of these lists and stuff like that inside of a like a, an app config file or just like you have that INI file
0: and you can the, 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 the yeah. i n i file was like all that that was all my construct none of that stuff was in it originally it was all in the application and i was actually thinking of pushing out all those lists into a sqlite database and that's another way to do it
2: if you send out a pre-built little db you could just put it in the database
0: and then you'd have those as tables yeah or, i think that know, makes more sense to me than sticking them in the i n i file i like to keep
2: the only problem with that print. is that
0: the end user can't can't edit it easy well, not easily, but you shouldn't. This is data that's essentially static data anyway. So, you know, they sh- shouldn't have to worry about it. True, true.
2: Until you would probably, well, until your contest logger now runs multiple contests, because then you'd probably have multiple configurations, maybe.
0: Yeah, but maybe a table with a structure for each different contest or something. I mean, no, that's quite possible. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Oops. I can hear my phone through my interface. I love this thing. <laughs> And and, uh, so, yeah, so, uh, okay, so here's, you can actually debug this. So let's talk about uh, debugging. I'm not going to pick on the PyLance and PyLint and stuff like that anymore. I still
0: can't see that inside of my VS code. I can't see all those errors inside of.
2: I don't know why it doesn't show up. Mine
0: definitely does. Yeah, I Um, saw that from your screenshot that you can see. Yeah, it's basically all the pylint stuff too. Maybe it's because let me just make sure. I, I checked to see if I, I had Pylance installed, and I definitely do. So,
2: Pylance, did you? I'm, I'm wondering if it's because we installed the linter afterwards, because it should. Let's see if it needs lint. Uh oh, select linter. Maybe you. Maybe because it wasn't there before, it didn't find it. So no. uh, go up to the command palette, Control Shift P, Python.
0: Um, because, because I'm on a Mac and everything, I can't do these keystrokes. So, so damn Mac, (laughs) (laughs) it's even worse than windows. It's a Mac (laughs) control shift P yeah.
2: Or just do a view command palette always works too. That's the, okay. I got it. Control shift P actually is
0: one of the ones that is working.
2: Oh, okay. So you can do a Python and select linter. So type in Python and then you should be able to scroll down and, uh, select your linter.
0: Select linter. Got it
2: and and then pick pilot cuz you just installed that pilot selected. Oh and look I've got bunches of errors now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there you go. So we solved the problem. So we now have the linter running and that's exactly the same output that you're going to see from the linter. Um, is is that. So It's
0: funny that you had 99 I should have picked yeah. up on that earlier. 99 problems, but a linter I, ain't one. Or, I, that's I, I, what I thought it was funny. Yeah.
2: Because <laughs> <laughs> it said 99 on my list. I was like, oh, yeah, we got to bring that up. It's 99 problems. <laughs> but <clears throat> the coder ain't one. OK, this is all pretty good code. So <laughs> um, I, I like it a lot. Uh, uh, but uh, we'll show you some fun stuff now if you're ready to move on.
0: Uh, I'm curious about my my pull time thing. That that was something mm-hmm. I threw in. It fixes the problem that I was having for sure, mm-hmm. and it probably would fix the problem with any kind of slow uh, interface, slow rig interface. Yeah, but is do you off the top of your head? Can you see a better way to do that? Because I couldn't think of one.
2: Um, um, hmm. I'd have to th- I'd have to think about that. Um, because your main loop kind of does a lot of stuff stuff um
0: it kind of hurts my head
1: (laughs) <laughs> that, that, don't look at
0: me. I, I rode very little nah. of the main loop part. <laughs> no, no, I can
2: understand. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, yeah. Some of the stuff would you probably, if you were do clean up and refactoring, and you'd pull most of anything that is coming from the input side of thing, you'd probably set up like an events class that would handle handling any any kind of event. So a change from some something else outside. And then you would have, you know, um a refresh class that takes care of refreshing the screen after an event has been handled and so on and so forth so you, you could you would clean up the main uh, the main looping class or whatever your main loop uh so it uh it's a little more followable um reader wise um but yeah i don't i don't know specifically i see you got some time sleeps in there um
0: yeah that, that i didn't put in there i don't know what that is the the only part of the main loop was the pull time interval to keep the to keep the main loop from checking the radio every time it looped because if the rig if the rig interface is a little bit slow it will disconnect because the default condition for the radio check is if anything goes wrong with the connection <laughs> disconnect it so um so yeah yeah. I mean that pro- would
2: probably be that'd probably be fine cuz like uh, generally you have most uh, most of the polling that you know, you set up with like an FL rig and stuff like that generally handles uh your poll times anyway so normally your shim interface should have that that kind of uh that kind of polling structure already built in so you don't have to hit the rig completely so like even with hamlib i think there's a way to set up your your polling interval so that you have like a 500 millisecond like interval so it doesn't it doesn't constantly try to poll to get the frequency so if you go and look at hamlib directly it shouldn't just be streaming and spewing information it should look like it's checking checking
0: yeah and i've been digging into hamlib because (laughs) i think you're delayed again
2: oh no (laughs) well
0: maybe maybe not or you're i'm just talking over you but i i was actually digging into hamlib because the code The code does or has the ability to change frequencies and bands and power and all that kind of stuff. But the code that you send into the hamlib socket doesn't Mm -hmm. actually change the power on my IC7100. Mm -hmm. But according to the code, according to the hamlib code, I looked at the IC7100.c file because that's written in what, C or C++? Probably C++. Um yeah. that code is in there. So it looks like it should, but it doesn't. It does on my other radio. My Kenwood, it changes the power just fine. So
2: hmm. That's interesting. That that might just be something specific with that version of the build. Are you running the one for, built in for WSJTX? Because that's always the newer build. Or are you running the one out of the repo? I'm
0: pretty sure it's just call it's calling Hamlib from rig control and rig control would be from the distro
2: no oh, so if you do which it should be it'll probably be in like user bin or whatever um yes wsjtx comes with the, the latest version so you might want to try hooking into that but it's not it's called like ham or rig control 4 i don't know how they how they separate it but it, it's shipped with its own hand lib hand lib, because the repo one is so pathetically old
0: Okay, I'll definitely take a look into that and see if that fixes it. Because I, I'd, I'd be yeah, interested to see or uninstall it
2: and compile your own. You know, right? <laughs> right. Works. Which
0: I, I did. I did clone the repo. So building Hamlib and putting in that version of rig control would be simple. So I might do that yeah. as well.
2: Or like Mike suggests, just use F L rig like a
0: big boy. <laughs> F L rig, what a piece piece of crap software that thing is. Uh, I am yeah, not a fan. Uh, uh, <laughs>
2: I know it's funny though. Um, so uh, so yeah so uh, so let's let's look at the debug stuff here because this is kind of the cool cool thing and this will also show you one of the first uh, well first failures I guess that you'll see. Um, so okay. over on the left hand side you have the run and debug and the okay. first time you okay. click it it'll probably say select a debug configuration and you'll just select Python file just straight simple Yep. and it's going to try running it and uh i have have breaks on mine so i have an
0: i have an exception already and it's because it can't draw the box i think
2: oh so yeah we find our first our first issue
0: (laughs) (laughs) i did notice that anytime my terminal resized it would crash yeah so. Yeah,
2: so like with any curses application, yeah, there is a way to see what size the terminal is to begin with, and it needs to ensure that it's already there. So you'd have to have like a try catch so the user would know that, hey, something's wrong here, because otherwise they just get this error message, right? A big uh, crash boom bang at the end that says uh, curses error, W move returned error, <laughs> you know, and a bunch of uh, stack trace right, right before that. So, right. so, here's here's a trick how to debug this in this. So, make your terminal window in the bottom bigger. So, just kind of scroll it up a little bit. Give it like, you know, what you remember is the size of the screen. You know, it needs what 40 80 lines by 24 is
0: the right screen. So,
2: so give it like 24 lines and then go ahead and hit run and debug again. And in theory, if you gave it enough room, all of a sudden you should see your window screen.
0: Oh, you're talking about inside of VS Code? Inside
2: of VS Code, yeah. So, go ahead and scroll that little middle line up.
0: Yep, hang on. Let's does it tell me how big it is? Well, who knows? Just take a guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, I took a guess. Okay, so let's see. Now I got to start it again. So we're running debug. Yep. Oh, yep, there it is. It opened.
2: Okay. Okay. So and uh, so it should be running. So you're at the top you have a pause, a restart, a step into, step out of. Yep. you Got a stop button and all the other good stuff. So if you go down into your loop that you know you're looping in, that while one construct down there, and you should be able to to put a breakpoint. So pick a spot on the left of, let's say, like line 2109 or something like that, the refresh. You should be able to go down to
0: 2109.
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Yep. So you should be able to go over to the left there and just click it, and you'll have a red dot sitting there. And probably within the time of your timer, it'll stop on that line. Okay. So did it stop? Uh, how do I know if it stopped? <laughs> It should have a yellow uh, carrot pointing at the line, and the line should be highlighted. Yes. And at the top, you should have all your buttons are lit up at the top because now you can step into code and everything else.
0: So you can see that, right? Um. Okay. There we go. <laughs> yes, I did. I pushed the right place now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so over on the
2: left now. So this is like the cool part about debugging the app while it's live is that over on the left you should have see your variables and you should see uh locals and you should see a little globals thing. And if you yep. down if you open up globals it's just a little tree menu. You should be able to Holy see crap, all your
0: there's a lot of globals. <laughs> you should be able
2: to see everything that's in global storage right now. So these would be everything that's available to this loop in context is available there and then everything that's specifically within the loop is in the locals context yep i see it so so this is kind of a a cool thing (laughs) i'm going to show you another cool thing (laughs) okay so i'm I'm interested
0: in all these cool things
2: so right below this box is the one that's called watch do you see the one that's called watch and it has like a little plus symbol. if you kind of hover over that box you see that plus symbol Uh uh-huh so you can actually add something in there. So go ahead and hit that plus button. And let's just type one of your variables. Let's say we wanted to know the band. So I'm going to type in band and press enter. So this is now one of my watched variables. And you should see band and 40 come up because I think that's the default one. Right. So so if you hit the continue button at the very top and your controls there, so it goes through your loop. It'll just come right back to refresh or wherever you're stopped at. I think you're refresh, like I am. And it'll show that watch context always always will be saved in there. Um, if we were to move, well, actually, it's going to be in here no matter what. If we were inside of another function, so let's kind of go up and go into, let's put a stop point somewhere that we know it looks at. So you said it goes into the rig, right? Uh, pole rig. pole rig. Yeah. So let's find that. Control F pole rig, right? Pole ri- radio. Pole radio. Pull radio. So, so, let's go into pole radio, which in theory should not have the band. Maybe I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if it has that. So, I'm just going to put a stop right there where it does that if statement. That if rig online, because I don't have a rig online, and it's just not going to find it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm putting a stop there and I'm going to hit play or continue until it ends up in there, which it should end up in there. What in five seconds? Right. Let's see if it's going to get there. I think it's because my rig is not, I don't have the
0: rig. It's not going to go in there. No, it won't go in there because rig online has to be not false.
2: Oh, uh, how about I go to check radio for mine. So you should probably have stopped.
0: Well, there's no rig. There's no radio on this either. Cause I'm doing it oh, from okay. a different computer. So,
2: Okay, so I'm going to put it into that check radio because that is ran every time. So I'm going to line 475 is rig online equals true. I'm just going to put a stop point there, and I'm just going to hit the continue button, and then it's going to stop in there. And you should see that too, right? Yep, I see it. And yes, you can mock, uh, put a dummy up there, of course, if you wanted to, the rig control D tech M1, which is the dummy interface control, if you wanted to play with it as if there was a real radio. But we're just trying to do an example here. So inside this check radio function, you can see the fact that we also have access to all the globals in there as well. It might not need it, but let's, I mean, the thing is, is you can edit it. You can edit that context inside of, inside of your check radio, which it doesn't need to be there. That's just one of those weird things, right? <laughs> what you complained <laughs> about very first is the global space is pretty crazy, right? Right. <clears throat> So, um, so yeah, so anyway, I was just, just showing you this. So you can debug your application fully, including, you know, digging into these little things. So you can do a step into from that point, watch it do its try failure and, you know, um, and just keep it and continue, and you can watch it go through the code, and you can see every line that it hits in order. And then if you want it to stop on a certain line, you can stop on a certain line and inspect what happens at that point, especially if you're trying to figure out something something's happening and you're not catching an error. Because I notice a lot of these spots here, the the try-catches are pretty generic. They're just you know a straight catch or a straight accept, and it doesn't actually catch the error type and stuff like that. It doesn't give you the error message unless you want it on the console and just spews it out. Um, but uh, but yeah, so that's that's debugging. It. So is that kind of cool?
0: That that's really cool. I'm gonna try using that actually on the other machine under Linux and make sure that the linter and everything is installed, so I can see what this code looks like over there with it actually connected to a rig and everything. That'd be yeah, be really cool. So have you gotten your money's worth yet? (laughs) Oh, I I think so. I mean, I definitely have a lot to explore with this.
2: Yeah, so so this does, uh, and that's the whole point. I mean, I I don't really want to dig too much further into this because I know we're running into football time here and uh, <laughs> and uh, I mean you kind of we're kind of showing the light here of, of what you can do inside of this and it does make it a hell of a lot easier to, to code around um, even though it's super easy to code in Python in a text editor because you know Python and you know, languages like that are so simple they're very you know linguist what, what do they call it language based so they're, they do exactly what you expect them to do when you tell them to do exactly what they're supposed to do <laughs> you know if you say a plus b equals c sure enough you know a plus b will equal c um it's, it's that that simple of course you would do the opposite so c equals a plus b but anyway i digress um it does it pretty much exactly what you want and almost all code will generally do what's expected <laughs> <laughs> even when you get to really complex code, like some of the stuff in here is, um, you can do it in a way in which it's, it's, it's quite easy to, uh, to get it to run. Um, you know, these extra tools allow you to kind of do the cleanups and stuff like that, that, uh, um, that people opening with these kind of editors are doing lints on the code. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> and, um, and again, it helps you, you know, just, just run, you know, make clean code and, and uh, gives you hints and styles. Cause like, I don't, I didn't, I, mean, I haven't messed with Python in forever until about what, six months ago when I changed teams. Cause I was doing all C sharp and TypeScript and, and JavaScript and SQL. And, uh, and yeah, and then I went to Python and I'm like, oh my God, I thought I knew Python until I installed an editor. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, there's all these rules now. And uh, yeah, my first my first module I wrote, you know, was was horrible looking compared to what everybody else was writing. And uh, yeah, so, you know, I took it some time looked at how how exactly they were, you know, setting up classes and, and all this other stuff. And I was like, OK, now this makes sense. Um, yeah, you, know, you can do typing inside of your, your def statements, uh, your method calls, whatever. So if you wanted it to only accept a string or you know, assume that what you're putting in as your variable is a string, you can actually say that this is a string. And it returns some type, uh, especially if you're sending back a class or, a, or a, you know, a list or something like that or a formed list uh, based on a class or data class or something like that. You can be very descriptive now on how things are going into these functions or methods, whatever you call them, and what comes out of them. So the application, especially when you're debugging, you know, it's, it gives you a lot of hinting at what is expected to be there. It's like, oh, yeah, this is a list of objects that are radio configs. <laughs> you know, so you could actually see that while you're debugging. You know, so you could hover over it and say, oh, yeah, this is the radio config. And it already knows that a radio config has a name and, uh, you know, whatever version number of its own and blah, 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 blah. So it allows you to do lots of, um, Lots of stuff like that that's kind of cool and neat and uh, all fun and Python-y. Um, but, yeah, I'm still learning myself. So, But these are the tools I've already got installed and have been using with some success. Um, there's a, a couple other cool things inside of the debugger I just want to mention uh, since we're into debugging. So if you look at the debugger, if you stopped it on the left-hand side, it you know has that run and debug button. Um, every yep, yep. run and debug has a configuration file that... Um, that can be edited. <laughs> uh, it seems kind of counterintuitive, somewhat. So if you go and just hit, uh, uh, let's, let's see, I'm just going to do it again because I, I just I made mine go away. <laughs> if you do a add configuration file, you should see a like a hyperlink for it underneath your run and debug button, and then it'll have you select what type of file you're you doing, and you just select Python again. Should give you a launch.json file for it. Uh you lost me a little bit, I think. Okay, so in your run debug. Yep. Are you out of that? Did you hit stop yet?
0: I am out of it, yes.
2: Okay. So now you have the big button that says run in debug in blue or whatever yep. color it is. And underneath that has some text and one of them's a hyperlink that says launch file, launch config or something. Uh like that. yes. Run config or something. So yeah, click that hyperlink and select Python and then it'll give you a launch.json file, which is the configuration file for your Your debug session. So, in here, you can actually add additional configuration parameters uh, for custom stuff. So, for me, inside of here, I have my AWS user key and uh, client secret and stuff like that. So, when my application tries to talk to AWS, it knows that the environment that it's being ran in you know, has a, has its own uh, set of keys and stuff like that to get in. So it can actually debug against uh, live AWS stuff. But uh, for just general stuff, for your tooling, you wouldn't need this. But if you were to ever need to set a specific environment variable, um, you can actually do that here inside the configuration, as well as do numerous, numerous stuff. There's actually a, a link in there for it, and you can Google and Stack Overflow, a bunch of information on that launch.json file. And you can set it up to do whatever you want. It's uh, <laughs> it's pretty uh, it's pretty powerful. And I'm only using like just environment variables. And I'm thinking this is the greatest thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so yeah. So uh, so that's kind of like a VS Code in a light light nutshell. Um, using it with WSL in this case, but this will work just the same. Probably not with without some of the hiccups that we had. You know, with the Windows WSL configuration directly in Linux or directly in Mac as well uh, should run just as fine. Um, and yeah, yeah. So if you're a Python coder and you haven't used VS Code or maybe you're using something else, I, I tried PyCharm. I I just couldn't I couldn't get with it only because I'd been using VS Code for C# sharp and stuff like that for so long now going to uh going to PyCharm just just it wasn't a fit for me I I just didn't I didn't have the workflow down but uh since uh, you don't have that issue <laughs> you don't have to worry about that that and you can go straight into VS Code and uh give it a try and uh, I find I use VS Code for just about um just about everything now especially as you're reviewing, you know, some downloads off of uh off of uh, GitHub, and you're just kind of looking at the code like we do on the show a lot. You know, I'll, I'll use you know VS Code and go in there, and it, you know, we'll throw in all the debug tools I need to actually look at this application that we're uh, they're downloading off a of source and stuff like that. So, so yeah, it's kind of a it's kind of a cool handy toolbox thing. And yeah, it's probably as fat as Emacs or fatter. I know, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but again, with fatness comes functionality, right? So
2: yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot of value to it. Um, and like I said, I use it every day at work. So, I mean, I've kind of kind of totally bought in and you know, that's just the way it is now. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, if you ever have any questions on VS code and if I don't know it, I'll be happy to learn with you. What you need to know? <laughs> <Because> <laughs> I love finding all these tips and tricks too, <laughs> that, uh, that help, uh, save me time in my day doing stuff. Um, but, yeah, that's uh, that's all I have to go over. Do you have any questions maybe that you want to review?
0: No, I don't think I have anything. I think I just need to explore VS Code a little bit more, actually get on to the, thing, to the machine where I've been doing the coding and kind of do some comparison shopping between the code that I wrote and what the linter thinks is good code <laughs> and uh, see how VS Code can help me be a better Python programmer, I guess.
2: Yeah, again, those things are just a lot of those are just style guidelines. So it's not doesn't make you a bad coder. So, I, you know, <laughs> uh I have lots of production products that have those kind of warnings <laughs> all over it. So I wouldn't worry too much about it. it won't, uh, you know, won't come back to kill you, but it's always nice to kind of clean that list off as kind of the the to-do list. The to-do list is to take care of all the linter
0: problems. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. I, th- I think that's good enough for now. I, hopefully that didn't take longer than it really needed to. I guess I should t- check real quick and see if we had any feedback. So I'll do that. If you want to like entertain the folks in the chat room or just tell people who the folks in the chat room were while I see if there's yeah. any, any feedback.
2: Yeah. So we, we did have some people show up here to the chat room today, even though we started a, well, about a half hour early, not not too much earlier than what we've been planning. Uh, we have, let's see, let me go pull up the list here. We have John, K1BTZ, Mike, K6GTE, uh, Ted, WA0EIR, Tony, K4XSS, The Menace, uh, Darren, VK6EK, and Steve, KA7HVT. So, uh, And if you guys have any questions, you can go ahead and put them in the chat. I know uh, Mike was uh, following along and got his to s- get set up, too, because... <laughs> Yeah. He he was probably playing around with it as well. And uh, yeah, once we got PyLinter installed and you set the linter up, you can see all the, the linting errors inside it. And those are the other linters too in that list that you can install I've just I always do pilot. so uh yeah 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 don't don't make it your your uh, your work list but uh those are always like I say the t- to do items that kind of put on the end you know I was like oh, I need to I want to work on this I don't want to add any new features today I don't have a bug to work on but maybe I can do a little refactoring and cleaning and those are the things you can do is like okay look at all the styling errors and stuff like that what can I clean up here how can I handle these are these variables better and you know maybe Control what what has access to what variable, and you know does it need to have access to it in this method, and you know you know you can look at stuff like that. You know, look at doing the class stuff. That's kind of uh, an interesting way to set up things. It's very it reminds me very much of setting up a C sharp class. So it wasn't totally foreign to me, but I I didn't know how to uh, how to do it right away, and I didn't get it. Right away, either. So <laughs> it did eventually come to me. I, I started making sense. It's like, oh, okay. This is, you know, okay. I get the init class in there and the init uh, method, and I get that all set up and blah blah blah. Pass self into all the all the methods, and then all I have to do is instantiate it outside, and you know, it builds itself based on the init class. And yeah, yeah. There's some cool stuff you can do for for uh, for setting it up class based. It's not necessary, but it, it does kind of make sense when you get it all working.
0: <laughs> all right, cool. I do have a couple of bits of feedback here that we can do. Cool. So let me get to them. <laughs> okay, the first one is a press release that the ARDC put out that I got from Dan, KB6NU. So let me start reading this and see how much of it is actually worth reading. <laughs> But this comes uh, from the ARRL Foundation to Create Club Grants Program. And this came out on January 15th. The ARRL has long recognized that it is in the best interest of amateur radio to encourage and support amateur radio clubs. Clubs historically have recruited, license. I got a text is small. (laughs) (laughs) Getting old sucks, people. Don't do it uh let's see so where was i recruiting recruiting the word recruiting now i've resized i can't find the word (laughs) clubs uh, okay recruited licensed and trained new amateur radios and have provided the community setting for radio amateurs to continue their education and training the new arrl foundation club grants program Funded by a grant from the ARDC, will make a half a million dollars available to clubs, enabling them to more easily provide and expand those important services. The program will provide up to $25,000 for worthy club projects, while requests for more than that will be referred back to the ARDC. Beginning in April 2022, amateur radio clubs will be able to apply for these grants by filling out a simple form on the ARRL website, The ARRL Foundation will then evaluate the grant proposals with a key criterion being how the project will advance image radio in the grantees community. In most cases, this process should take no longer than 90 days. Uh, There's more here. How much of this do I want to read? I guess I'll read a little bit more. Dr. David Woolweaver, ARRL Foundation president, is understandably quite enthusiastic about this program. He notes, quote, this program will substantially contribute to the growth of amateur radio clubs in their efforts to expand and support the amateur radio community, unquote. And Rosie Schechter, ARDC executive director, is equally enthusiastic. She notes that the program will streamline the process for getting club projects funded so that clubs can get started on those projects more quickly. He says, quote, we're very excited about working with the ARRL Foundation on this program. We can't wait to see what kinds of creative things clubs will do with these grants. Well, there you go. Look for that starting in April. And thanks, Dan, for sending that on. Yeah, and that's cool. Yeah, we have a club. We might want to uh, think about it.
2: <laughs> yeah, get, they got a grant for that, uh, you know, 300-foot tower at your house, right?
0: <laughs> eh, the, well, hey, you know what? <laughs> I'm all about it. Especially if I can hire, hire a tower climber with the money, too. So, All right, we got one more. And this was a comment on episode number 447 of the show from Whiskey Six Echo Lima. And he says, Good to hear you folks trying out WFView some more. Yes, I've been playing with it quite a bit lately, actually. Definitely check out the latest code from our master branch. The server code in particular is much improved for Windows users. There are weekly beta builds available on our downloads page. 7 3 from Whiskey Six Echo Lima. And I believe that's Elliot, Elliot Liggett, who is the yes. author, primary author of uh, W F View. So thanks, Elliot. And yes, have been enjoying. And actually, I posted a couple of bugs and feature requests over on their forums, and they got one of the bugs fixed, which is the sizing issue for rigs that don't have a waterfall. And they're actually going to look at doing uh, FFTs and audio-based waterfall display for those rigs that don't have a pan adapter. So there you go. That would be the bomb. It would be, wouldn't it? Yeah. All right. Well, you know what? I think that's it. Sweet. (laughs) Cool. So thanks, everybody, for listening. We already got down through the folks who are here with us live, which was actually a pretty sizable bunch for a Sunday afternoon. So thanks, everybody, for being here. We really appreciate it, and we appreciate everybody who's contributing to the show whether it's just uh sending us feedback or sending us a little bit of cash so we can keep the lights on here we really do appreciate all of that and we hope you have a great week until the next episode comes out and we'll talk to you all again then so for now this has been episode number 451 of linux in the ham shack and for the on assignment cheryl w5moo i'm russ k5tux and i'm bill any 4rd 73
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the podcast by visiting the LHS Patreon page at patreon.com stroke LHS podcast or by using the contribute list on the homepage. We have a presence on Discord, Facebook, IRC, Twitter and YouTube. You can also drop us an email at info at lhspodcast.info or leave us a voicemail at one nine zero nine lhs show That's one 547 7469 Visit the online LHS Merchandise Store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable show-themed merchandise Until next time, remember to always heed your hedonism